Well, brethren, I am learning many things, and God has allowed this thing to come on me. I don't think God brought it on, and I don't think Satan brought it on. I was 78 and a half years old and pushing myself maybe too hard, but He certainly allowed it. He certainly allowed it. Every hair of our head is numbered. And so He say, Meredith, you pull back, and you think about things, and you have time to learn, to meditate, to repent, to grow, <laughs> and He's given me time to do that. And I'm sure that it's for a very good purpose, and I really mean that. But uh, I'm trying to learn everything I can and asking God to show me every single lesson that I need to learn. And I hope when something happens to you, whether it's a losing your job or a terrible tragedy or a sickness you have, that you'll try to do the same thing. God may not be striking you down, but He may be allowing things it says he rebukes and chastens not the sons he hates, but the sons he loves. He rebukes and chastens every son he loves, and he works with us. But during this time, obviously, my mind has been focused on one thing more than any other because we have, you know, the first law of human nature is self-preservation. <laughs> and so I'm thinking about healing because of that, and I have been thinking about it, praying about it, studying about it a lot. And I want to share some of this. I've asked, uh, I was scheduled to give the, fir the full sermon today, and Mr. Rod McNair made out, makes out the schedule normally, and he made it out weeks ago thinking I'd be completely well. Well, I'm not, and I sometimes get extremely tired or just like I'm going to fall over if I would preach an hour and a half or something. So I've asked Mr. McNair to talk a little bit longer, and therefore I would just have 40 or 50 minutes to fill out the time. And, of course, I can always close early. That would be good, I guess. <laughs> Mr. Eames closed early. I think it was last week or a week before, and people were happy. Once in a while, we let you out early. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, not for his sermon, but for any of our sermons. They're always very grateful for that. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I have a full subject here, so I'll try to get right at it. Let's, it's a very, very important thing and aspects of this topic that I've been thinking and praying about that I want to share with you. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 8 in your Bible. Matthew chapter 8. And here, of course, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 are all about the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 8, and when he'd come down from the mountain where he'd given the sermon, great multitudes followed him. Now, from what we understand and what historians have said, we sometimes think that means several hundred thousand. Well, the Hebrew or the Greek doesn't necessarily mean that in other examples, but it does mean many scores or several hundred. So there may have been, you know, three to five hundred or might have been four or five thousand for that matter. It wasn't necessarily hundreds of thousands. And behold, a leper came. And you know what leprosy is. It is just a horrible, disgusting Disease where people were terribly embarrassed. Their, their whole bodies rotting off and they give off a stench and leper, leper, and they're commanded to do that and stay away from people. It must have been a horrible thing to have leprosy. But this leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing. He must have said that in a very plaintive tone. Oh, God, have mercy. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He sensed that Christ was the Messiah, and he asked this. What is God's will? 
Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. You all know the scripture back in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. If you don't know it, get acquainted. Put that in your scripture vocabulary. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ is always the same. He does not change the basic way He deals with us. He is willing. I am willing, uh, He said, uh, and, and uh, be cleansed. And immediately His leprosy was cleansed. So God often healed immediately back there more than He does today. But God can do that and often does that. And then a centurion came asking about His servant, and he was so humble, he says, I'm not worried that you should even come under my roof. Only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. He says, I'm used to having people under me in authority. And I say, about face, and they about face. And they go here and go there. You have authority. This impressed Jesus. This Roman said just in a certain way, he really meant it. And so here's an Italian in there among the Jews, an Italian leader of a hundred troops, a centurion, meaning oh, he was over 100 like a century, you know, that's where that word comes from, and an important man, but he was humbling himself. You don't even have to come under my roof, just say the word. And Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, because the Jews were kind of hardened and they'd seen things come and go, and like a people in God's church have been kind of turned off by things for years, and they were cynical. And they didn't have that kind of faith. So he showed how people were going to have to come from east and west and all over into the kingdom of God. And some of the original people would be cast out. And so he said to the centurion, verse 13, Go your way as you have believed. Let it be done to you. And the servant was healed that same hour. Then this, he comes into Peter's house. Peter was the first, uh, the leader but the Catholics say he was the first pope, which he was not, of course, but the popes are not supposed to be married. Well, Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. <laughs> so he went into the house of Peter's wife's mother, and she was lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand. In other words, he laid his hand on her. Through the laying on of hands, constantly you find people being healed. And the fever left her, and then she served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed, notice, all. He didn't heal some of them. Now, frankly, brethren, they did not all have perfect faith. I don't think they did. There's nothing that indicates that. Mr. Armstrong, you know, disabused us of that years ago. And you read some of these accounts. God simply poured out His Spirit during some of those times to show where He was working. And at the beginning of the gospel, when even the apostles went out, He just healed people. And they didn't all have perfect faith. He healed this cripple at the gate called Beautiful. And the crippled man, remember, had been crippled from birth. And he asked for some, some alms. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. Not one word is mentioned about the word faith in there. And as Mr. Armstrong said, the man wasn't asking for healing. He was asking for money. He may not have had faith. God was showing his power to start out that church. After all, these millions of Jews, they had heard from their fathers and now through time and through ancestors about the great power at Mount Sinai, how God shook the mountain and thunder and lightning and everything else. And then the Ten Commandments were given and that was God speaking. And they knew that. They believed that. 
to make something different come along, this new way, magnifying God's law, yes, but certain changes. They had to have an assurance that this was from God. So God gave that assurance through Christ's ministry. And at the beginning of the ministry of Peter and James and John and the apostles, He poured out His Spirit. Some people had faith and some didn't. But He was doing that. But anyway, He healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He Himself took our infirmities, and that can mean ailments, as you look it up in the Greek, and bear our sicknesses. He took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now, this is a reference going back to Isaiah 53. So let's turn back to Isaiah 53, because Christ was quoting there, from part of Isaiah 53. Most of you know this. Isaiah 53 is talking about the coming Messiah. And he says, Whoso hath believed our report, uh, you know, he has no form or comeliness when we see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, rejected of men. Verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ was not some comedian, always happy and had all kinds of things. He had to go through a lot of sorrow. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs. And in the margin, I didn't put it in there. The printers put it in there. The Greek experts who printed this, this Bible. It says, literally, sicknesses. So the Hebrew word here means he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded. Now, and when they killed him, they thrust a spear in his side. He wasn't just wounded. He was killed. The blood just spurted out right then when this young unknown soldier, as I've said, I used to think it was an Italian. Well, let's not blame the Italians. I love Italians, and I love Italian food and Italian music. <laughs> we don't know who it was. They had a conscript army. It might have been anybody from anywhere. Some young man, and I think probably God put it in his mind at that moment because it was his time, and it was a merciful thing. Actually, here Christ was suffering. So though something put it as maybe Christ was groaning in pain. Oh, shut up! Bang! Just like that through the spear. And Jesus screamed and, and bowed his head, and the blood gushed out, and he died right then. That was merciful. But that's what happened. So that was not just being wounded, that was being slaughtered. But he took our, by the wounds from this terrible beating he took. Most of you know, brethren, that, and we don't have time to explain that today. I wish I had a two-hour sermon. We used to give some, back, back in the old days, the, some of the brethren were really concerned. And the three, the three worst offenders uh, were Mr. Gerald Waterhouse and Mr. Raymond Minaire and me. And we would go on and on, and we would sometimes talk two or two and a half hours straight through because the service was scheduled to be three hours, you know, regularly. That was the normal time. So you better be glad you knew people. We don't have a three-hour service. We have a two-hour service. But back in the old days, why uh, we, 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 the service was scheduled from 1.30 to 4.30, and the other churches basically the same day. And sometimes Mr. Armstrong would even go over 30 or 45 minutes and just sit there and you learned. It was all new and exciting, and it was okay. But anyway... He carried our sorrows, and we esteem him stricken, smitten by God. He was wounded in this terrible beating, the scourging. An official Roman lictor, people get that term licking, give your children child a licking from a lictor, an official guy who knew how to wield the cat of nine tails and tear your hide off, 
Remember, Christ was crucified, and before He was crucified, and again, we read this at Passover time, so I'll just refer to it here, but look it up back in Matthew 27 and at the end of all the Gospels. Christ was scourged, the official whipping or licking, tearing the hide right off of Him. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. So it was partly... Uh, you see, for our healing as we see. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and the key verse here, the key phrase, by His stripes. Yes, there were stripes. Not just people hitting or cursing Him or the spear at the end. Stripes are this beating. By His stripes we are healed. And in 1 Peter 2.21 it refers to that or 2.24 Peter then refers to it. He says, By His stripes we were healed. Interesting how God inspired him to show it was already done. And we were healed. The penalty was paid. But it's talking about stripes. Stripes is not a spear in your side with the blood gushing out. By His stripes we were healed. And then all we like sheep have gone astray and so on. I'd like to read all these passages, but in this split sermon I better just get at the key part But that's an important thing to realize. And what I want to explain to you, brethren, is very few people in the world who call themselves Christian, including very, very few great theologians, even begin to understand this. Protestant leaders as a whole have their minds so focused on the old rugged cross, how much I love the old rugged cross. And they talk about the cross and the cross, and everything revolves around the cross. Well, Christ's death on the cross was a wonderful thing, and we thank God for that. And that was more important, of course, than physical healing. But it was not all that. There was the official Roman scourging that took place where they would beat a man and tear the hide right off of him, as many commentaries point out, before they took him out to crucify him. And they don't seem in their brains to, because God has blinded them, of course, They don't seem in their minds to be able to connect the scourging with healing. Very few get that. But it's been a tradition in the church of God. Mr. Armstrong didn't invent it. The Sardis people, I know, understand that. Some of them used to at least when I was attending with them up in Oregon during the summer of 1950, going back a few years before many of you were born. (laughs) That had been, what, 58 years ago. Why... Ken Herman and Owen Smith and I were up there to work in the woods, and Mr. Armstrong told us to attend the Sardis Church. He knew Ken had this old 39 Chevy that was about to fall apart. He said, I doubt if you guys want to drive down to Eugene every week, and so why don't you just attend the Scrabble Hill Church? Because he said, they're, they're a branch of God's church, and, and they won't hurt you, and they didn't. And, you know, he, he kind of chuckled. He said, you might worry them a little bit. And I think I've told you that story. We came in well-dressed, these three young men, and they thought Armstrong's men have come to take over. Yeah, 19-year-old kids. We weren't taking over anything. We were just there to worship. But anyway, uh, they believed in healing to the degree, and they had certain truths. The church of God has passed down. And Mr. Armstrong enlarged on that, of course, and learned even more about these things as he did everything else. By His stripes we are or were healed. By that beating He took He took our sins and our physical infirmities and our sicknesses upon Himself by letting His body, 
the physical body of the one who had emptied himself and was born of a human virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, he allowed his body containing the personality of God to be terribly beaten, was blood running down, suffering, writhing in pain, and then they took him out and crucified him later. And the crucifixion and the shedding of his blood in that way and the giving of his life paid for our spiritual sins. But that beating paid the penalty of the physical suffering we go through when we are sick and have infirmities and ailments. And we need to focus on that, brethren, more than we have because we've lost a lot of that. And I think we need to review that and revive that understanding. That is very important. Now, going back to Matthew, if you would, let's turn back to Matthew. And this time, not chapter 8, but chapter 9. Here, in chapter 9 of Matthew, right after the other passage, or soon after, so he got into a boat and crossed over and came into his own city. So now he's back near... near uh, Nazareth, and behold, they brought to him a paralytic. Maybe it's, it's Capernaum might have been his own city by that time, but that's another matter. They brought a paralytic. Here's a man crippled, lying on a bed. Jesus, seeing their faith, so he saw there they did have faith in this case, said, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, what's the connection? Your sins. And they couldn't see it either. And at once some of the scribes said, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he figured he saw their smirks and attitudes, and he knew what they were thinking. Why do you think evil in your heart? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins... You see, spiritual sins, and you come to understand, which many of you do, that the healing of our physical bodies, the forgiveness of physical mistakes and weaknesses and watering down God's laws and letting ourselves break physical laws, we're to honor the temple of God, we're to care for the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our bodies. Many of us don't do that. And I was preaching to that about the council of elders and telling them, and I don't have time to dwell on that, but you all need to do better. I need to do better. My wife is really on a crusade now that she's had this problem, and I've had a problem too to keep us on the right track and take care of ourselves more than ever. But we need to. A lot of you are way overweight, and you're going to die. Of course, I used to kid my sons and say, you're going to die. Well, you know, I was kidding. Everybody's going to die. But nevertheless, some will die sooner if you're way overweight and you go huffing and puffing around and it's putting a strain on your heart, lungs, and liver. And others of you, I know Mr. Armstrong used to just lash out and I thought the brethren were going to get upset at him when we were down in Texas, you know, at, at uh, Gladewater in the early days at the feast. But They didn't. He did it in a grandfatherly way. And he's, you Southerners, you eat all this pork and all this grease and all this vittles and junk. And he said, it's going to hurt you. And you better quit it. And he'd just yell at them. And pretty, you know, some of them may have gotten mad, but I never really counted anyone. They knew he meant to help them. And we used to have long lines of the brethren when we first had the feast at Big Sandy. I mean long lines, 30, 60 people. And I won't better go through the whole story. And they'd move forward and we had 
Uncle Paul and I'd be in one little counseling room and Dr. Hand Raymond Cole in another and, you know, three or four and they would, we'd anoint them and the others anoint them and anoint them and they'd go through these lines. All of them were sick and their kids had flus and viruses and all kinds of things wrong and a lot of it was just wrong eating. So once we had churches and we had the spokesman clubs, we told them how to eat and we teach the men how to dress, how to pronounce words properly, how to speak, how to have confidence, look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. And the whole church, really, we, we changed a lot of lives during those years. I really mean that. We, we increased their whole approach to life and their whole standard of living and their health got better. But we need to all do that today. We haven't had those strong sermons on physical health very often that we used to get. Mr. Armstrong had Adele Davis and... Bernard Jensen and some of these old health uh, writers come into the college and lecture way back then, and we heard them, and I read some of their books, and some of us paid attention and some didn't. None of us probably paid as much attention as we should have done. But we need to do that and be careful. Eat more fruits and more vegetables and a little less meat and a lot less starch and sugar and junk and try to glorify God in your body. That's what we're supposed to do. But if we do our part and then ask God to go above and beyond and to heal uh, and learn to build faith, we will get more healings. We will have more healings in the church of God. But a lot of us have not focused on that very much, and we don't even maybe fully understand it. That's one reason I'm going over it. We don't get these sermons very often. Anyway, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? So he said, rise up and walk. And now the multitudes uh, saw it and marveled that God had given such power to men. And they were grateful, but of course the Pharisees and others got mad, other scriptures tell us, and sometimes wanted to kill him. They were so jealous. Now the deal is, as you see right here, the forgiveness of sin and healing often went together. You see that over and over without me reading all the accounts, but I have, this is one of my favorite Bible commentaries, it's my favorite longer one, and it's expensive. You can't all get one, perhaps, but it's 12 volumes. The Expositor's Bible Commentary, 12 volumes. But here in volume 4, and uh, I got it uh, here with a clip so I can get it on page uh, uh, 205 on this very uh, part of, of Matthew 9. It has some comments here, and it shows how uh, Matthew renders the Hebrew word in such a way as to speak of taking caring physical infirmities and physical diseases, but not in terms of suffering vicariously for sin. He, he shows the uh, the uh, commentator, the, the Protestant, of course, that so many try to take it and somehow make it apply to all the spiritual sin, but the the words used are applying to physical sin, physical uh, sickness, and he explains that both scripture and Jewish tradition understand that, quote, all sickness, end quote, is caused, by, is caused directly or indirectly by sin. And that's true. We break physical laws. Uh, this encourages us to look for a deeper connection between verses 17 and Isaiah 53.4. Well, we, we just read Isaiah 53.4. Isaiah is thinking of the servants taking the diseases of others upon himself through his suffering and death for their sin. And he goes on about that. But strictly speaking, Isaiah 53, 4 simply speaks of the connection between sickness and sin and shows that the way he bears sickness of others is through his suffering and death. 
You see, all that's true, but you notice the one thing they're leaving out? They never mention the word stripes. They never mention the word scourging. God has blinded their minds where they don't grasp the fact that this scourging was to pay for our physical sins and the death on the cross was to pay for our spiritual sins. There are two parts of it. And as most of you older brethren know, but again, newer brethren may not have concentrated on that. Why do we have the bread and the wine at the Passover? At the Passover, the bread symbolizes Christ's broken body broken by this physical scourging. And the red wine symbolizes His red blood in death. They're the two parts of Christ's sacrifice. And the vast majority of the Christian world, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, leaves out that first part completely. And brethren, you've all grown up in that world, the vast majority of you at least, and I did, and many of us still don't really focus on that first part. Part of the forgiveness that we achieve through Christ's sacrifice is the forgiveness of physical sins, physical carelessness, mistakes, and healing that we ought to expect much more than we do. And so they go on and on talking about uh, about how uh, it's talking about, uh, you know, just uh, the whole, his suffering. They never mention what that aspect. And uh, then they say later, this next page, when Jesus began his ministry, he not only proclaimed the kingdom, but healed the sick. Healing and forgiveness, notice this, are tied together. Even this commentary recognized that they are tied together, not only in a pericope like uh, Matthew 9, 1, 8, but by the fact that the consummated in the consummated kingdom in which there is no sickness is made possible by Jesus' death uh, and so on. They say death, but never the suffering. Thus, healing during Jesus' ministry can be understood as a foretaste of the kingdom, but also as the fruit of Jesus' death. See, they go on, death, death, death. They can't grasp there was a scourging. They don't get it. Over a little later, to show their ignorance, from the perspective of the New Testament writers, the cross of course, Christ's death on the cross, and that's wonderful. The cross is the basis of all the benefits that accrue to the believers. Uh, but this does not mean that all such benefits are secured at the present time on demand uh, that we have some things in our resurrection bodies. Well, God will give us all perfect health then, but they try to play down the idea of physical healing now because most of them don't ever get it or understand it, and it's all the cross. There's nothing to do with the scourging. Again, you see what I mean? They leave that out. That's just left out of most Protestant thinking, probably 95 or 99% of Protestant thinking and looking up in a number of commentaries. But I was looking this up again the other day and was struck by this and thought, I good that you understand that, how that is constantly left out. So then we go to chapter 9, verse 18, Matthew 9, 18, reading a little bit more about the true teaching of the Bible. While he spoke these things to them, a ruler came, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So you see the understanding, even the Jews understood the laying on of hands. God works through human instruments. And so Jesus arose, and then this woman had this flow of blood of twelve years came and touched the hem of his garment and tried to be healed, and she was. And Jesus turned and said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Faith is very important. And so then they came to the place where the little girl had died, 
And uh, Jesus found they were all uh, crowded around. He had to put them out. That atmosphere of faith, he put them out. And then he took the father and mother in, as the other scriptures show, and healed this person. But anyway, she, he healed this little girl, rose, rose her up, raised her up. Verse 27, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy. And when he came to the house, the blind men came, and Jesus said, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith. You see, you've got to have faith. And brethren, our faith is not what it should be today at all. According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. According to your faith, over and over again, Christ and indicated that mostly, most of the time, we're supposed to have faith. Sometimes at the beginning, he healed them anyway. Then chapter 10 of Matthew, just showing the mind of God here and how God guided this whole thing. It's part of the gospel. It was part of the way of preaching the truth. John or Matthew 10, this is the, God, the mind of God, the mind of God in print. That's what the Bible is. And we're supposed to get back to that. This is recovering, restoring apostolic Christianity. And when he called his twelve disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits, demons, to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And please remember, brethren, every now and then through the last many years, I've been in the ministry a long time and encountered people, well, boy, now what about Epstein-Barr? And that's incurable. What about AIDS? You know, it doesn't make any difference. God can heal anything. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever to God. He's the God that created the entire universe, and He can heal any disease. It's a question, will He choose to do that now? In most cases, if we are turning to God and honoring Him and have faith, according to your faith, be it unto you. So we need to understand that. Then He names the twelve apostles, and so He sent them out, and uh, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he said uh, in verse 7, As you go, as he sent them out, Matthew 10, 7, preach, saying, Number one, the kingdom of heaven. Mark, Luke, and John say the kingdom of God is not kingdom in heaven, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The way in was being preached then. Number two, heal the sick cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And those two phrases are left out of some of the manuscripts, by the way. Then, cast out demons. Those three things are mentioned over and over. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Those three things. And again, I don't have time to read them all. There are probably five or ten different places where those three things are mentioned together. Number one, preach the gospel. Number two, heal the sick. Number three, cast out demons. Now, we don't have as many demons today running around that we know about. Part of it, we don't discern them perhaps as much as we should. But I know, talk to Dr. David Albert. Some of your brethren know him. He used to be on the World Tomorrow program, and he was one of my students, and I baptized him. And 
he left the church for a while and the college and then came back and then I got him back in the church again in a sense and got him hired as our psychology professor and I knew him and liked him. I said, Dave, what about all these demons? We were talking a couple times. Of course, he got his doctorate in psychology. He said, frankly, we're locking up a lot of them. He says, you can't be dogmatic, but he had his internship in a number of great big mental hospitals. And he said, it's just a generalization, but he said, as a minister perceiving the way these people acted, he says, I think maybe a third of them were born with just a mental defect. Others got some disease or had an accident where they were physically, their brain was physically damaged. And another third were demon-possessed, demon-influenced, but the doctors didn't know it. They're completely ignorant. They don't know what they're dealing with. You have these so-called split personalities, you read that again and again where a person speaks four or five languages but he's never been out of the United States. He's never studied those languages. All of a sudden he speaks German and, and uh, Chinese. How does he do that? Well, it's a demon's. You ought to figure that out but that it's not something normal and that those people have a demon guiding them and you have to understand that but he, he saw that. So there are demons but he says what we're doing with the demons today he called it, we're warehousing them. We put them in warehouses called mental hospitals. And some of you know the statistics about half the people in hospitals today are there for mental problems, not just physical problems. So a lot of demons are being locked up and you sedate. As Dr. Albert explained, the physical brain, the demon has to work through the brain. If you sedate the physical brain with drugs, then the demon can't do much at that point. But when our whole society breaks down, which is beginning to do, and they have to close down these hospitals, put people out of the prisons, they don't have enough prisons to hold them in enough mental hospital, they're going to be out running around again. And we're going to be dealing with demons a lot more than we are now. I think we need to recognize that. I think it's important we think about it. So those are the things he told them to do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. And that was part of the gospel. That's something that had directly to do with the commission that we have to preach the gospel. So we need to understand that aspect and really get back to that understanding as a church. But my brethren, as I've told you before, and I want you to really get this, I know this, and I've talked to several older ministers who really understand this and saw it. I don't think Mr. Party is here today, but he and I have discussed this a number of times. We lived through it. We got off the track over a period of decades, but especially starting in the early 70s, the liberals took over and they began to make fun of Mr. Armstrong. And when I came back from two and a half years in Great Britain as deputy chancellor in the college there, I came into the doctoral meetings, and I don't want to mention names. I better quit doing that. But at any rate, we had a smirking smart aleck sitting at the head of the table. It was not Ted, another man. And he was kind of putting Mr. Armstrong down and, and trying to make changes right. Well, Mr. Armstrong was still alive up above. I said, you guys can't do this. Yeah, well. And, and then they had to, Ted had to send Dr. Kuhn down to bring peace. Uh, because Rod Meredith had come back and I was right in their face and some of them were yelling. <laughs> they didn't like it. They were going to change everything around right while Mr. Armstrong was alive. They tried to make fun of healing and fun of all kinds of things that Mr. Armstrong taught right while he was alive. Then he came back later from his heart failure, set the church back on track. So in a sense, they had a double witness. And then some of the same guys went back the other way again once he was dead and took over. 
And they did away with healing. They came out with their new healing booklet that talks about medicine, medicine, doctors, doctors. It's very subtle, but if you read it, I did. I got it immediately, of course, because I'd been a minister and Bible teacher. And uh, Dr. Hay kind of summarized it. He said, Mr. Armstrong wrote about faith. He said, he gave the guy's name. It was not Mr. Dukach who wrote the booklet. Mr. Dukach did not write anything. But he said, so-and-so, big tall guy, he wrote about uh, medicine. <laughs> that was Dr. Hayes' summary. Mr. Armstrong wrote about faith, and what's-his-name wrote about medicine. That was, a, you know, how Dr. Hay used to give these cryptic summaries. But that's the truth. That was the whole thrust. And people began to say, well, you know, we don't have to go to doc- to uh, be a minister. We just go to doctors and it's okay. Well, yeah, it's okay. But our minds got off going to the ministers and the number of people having faith in God dropped and dropped and dropped starting about 1972 and 3 and 4, right along in there. And I won't go through the whole story because the 19-year cycles ended and then other things happened that discouraged people, disillusioned them, and a whole series of things happened that disillusioned them about God, disillusioned them about the church, and disillusioned them about healing. And we have never recovered that atmosphere of faith that we had then. And brethren, I want you to understand before I go on with more scriptures here, and I hope we'll have time to give you some more here things, but please understand this. You've got to understand this. It's not something that just happened way back when and never has been repeated. We had in the early days healing after healing after healing. And I saw it before God I know. I was there. But people have been healed supernaturally by God. Still later, when I was director of the ministry in the United States, we got this letter from this minister. They used to have reports, and I had the minister send in reports. And I had to later quit that. But Mr. Armstrong had me send in reports. It was his system, but I just carried it on too long. But this minister sent in a report from Salt Lake City about this woman who had uh, been a, 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 a wife, the wife of a member and attended once in a while, but was not converted, but she had breast cancer, and one breast was removed totally because of cancer, and then she started attending church, and the other breast got cancer, and really got bad, and the the, the skin turned kind of that gray color and began to stink, and she began to have pain, so she went back again. It wasn't some going to some naturopath or chiropractor, not that there's bad, and I don't mean that, but she went to the top doctors there, the same cancer clinic in this big hospital, top medical doctors they had, and that was it. She had cancer, and it got so bad that one time she'd, she'd been anointed before once or twice, but this one night she got so bad they said she was screaming, literally screaming and clawing herself and beating on the wall. She couldn't stand the pain, and they called the minister in the middle of the night. And he told me, he said, I came over there. She had several women taking care of her in relays because her husband had to keep his job. They had to pay these medical bills. And so they came to help her and bathe her and change her clothes. She'd be perspiring and crying and shaking and various things. But anyway, so the women knew her there, knew her, saw her, knew all about it, saw her body and saw her skin and what had happened and so on. And But anyway, I came over there and uh, there she was in church. And before church, I said, you're Mrs. So-and-so. Mrs. Beam was her name, like a beam in the ceiling, B-E-A-M. And I said, well, please hang around. I want to talk to you later. 
So after church, I came over there, and a number of women were around her, and I asked them, I said, well, you, you saw her, didn't you? Oh, yeah, they nodded. They'd seen her that way, and I, they got the story from her. But what happened? The minister came, and she was screaming and crying, and he said it was really quite a scene. The ladies were crying, and they all knelt down together, and he said he really prayed harder than he ever had in his life. He just begged God to please heal her, and she asked him, Please tell God to either heal me right now or let me die. That's what she asked in front of these other people. Heal me right now or let me die. I can't stand the pain anymore. And they prayed and prayed. And then after he said amen, I said, well, did she just jump right up? He said, no, it was kind of a trial. He said it was only a minute or 90 seconds. It seemed like a long time, but nothing happened. She was still kind of like this. But she said after a few minutes, her hands went like that. And she went up. She said, it's gone. <laughs> and from then on, it was gone. And her body began to flush out pieces of flesh, and she was totally healed by God Almighty, the Creator, the Healer. Healed by God, supernaturally, through the prayers of one of our ministers. What happened to her? She and her husband moved to Hawaii later, and his job or something, and she dropped away from the church. So the lesson is, Spiritual healing is more important than physical healing. But physical healing is wonderful. And we've had many, many wonderful physical healings in our age right now. And I can tell you more and perhaps will later. But I'll tell you, we need to understand and healing is part of the gospel. Jesus commanded, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. So this is very important uh, to understand. And uh, then let's turn now at this point. If you, We did get off the track. We jumped the track and I began to realize that not near as many people, even in the churches when I'd be pastoring, when I came back from, they got rid of me for a while, sent me to England, and they weren't asking for healing anymore because the healing was being you know, stamped out even during the 70s and even more later under the the regime that came in after Mr. Armstrong's death. They just watered it down. And the ministers were not asked to be to anoint people near as much. And there was not an atmosphere of faith that was not that as it should have been at all. So that's the thing to understand. We really got off the track as a church, and we've got to get back on the track. And I think God wants me to help you get back on the track. You know, I really do. And now a lot of people have a stroke and then they have one or two more and they're dead. Well, if I, if I die, that does not mean God does not heal. That has nothing to do with God's promise. I am 78 and a half years old. And uh, I read just in the paper this morning, I was showing my wife, uh, uh, Patriarch Alexis, somebody of the or Russian Orthodox Church. They have 120 million followers. And, uh, and he just died at age 79. You're reading all the time. So, you know, normally men do die somewhere between 75 and 85 and some sooner and some later. So that's not unusual. I think God will heal me. I do believe that. But, you know, I don't want that to affect anyone's faith. Your faith is in God. Your faith must be in God and in the Word of God. And if God lets some of us old guys die, you'd better stay with God. Your faith had better not be in me. You know, I'm not going to save you. I'm not going to resurrect you from the dead. Jesus Christ will save you, and He will resurrect you from the dead. 
But His promises will be sure unless it is your time to die or unless there is some great extenuating circumstance. God has healed, does heal, will heal, and we must believe that. And, and that's what God wants us to do. Now turn to Mark chapter 6, if you would. Mark chapter 6. Here, Jesus came into His own country and they said in verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And there are not His sisters here? And they were offended Him. Who's He? How can He know anything? Mark 6. And now verse 4. But Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in His own country, you know, and among His own relatives and in His own house. So because of that what? That attitude. Well, who's He? He can't do anything. An attitude of doubt. An attitude of cynicism, a lack of faith. Now he, Jesus, the Son of God, could, this is what it says, he could do no mighty work there. Even God in the flesh, I guess he could have broken the principle he said in motion, but normally it was his will to have an atmosphere of faith. So he could do no mighty work there, even Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus Christ were here sitting at this desk instead of me, some of you assume, well, Rod Meredith has his mistakes. Yes, I have hundreds of mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm human. But if Jesus Christ were here, I think you would come to learn that not everyone would be suddenly healed because we're in the church and we're supposed to have some faith. And if you did not have an atmosphere of faith at that time, Jesus could do no mighty work Except just a few, he except he laid his hands, laying on of hands, on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It was not his unbelief, obviously. It was their unbelief, an atmosphere of doubt, an atmosphere of cynicism and disillusionment. That is what had taken over people then, and that is what has taken over God's church. As Mr. McNair pointed out in the sermonette, we are in the Laodicean era. There's no question about that. Most people in the church, as the greater church of God, as we call them, these various groups, are Laodiceans. And we may have more among us than we realize. Some of you may be Laodicean, and we can't sit around judging each other. I'm not your judge, and you're not to judge one another. But we may have a lot of people who don't really believe in God the way they should. And we have a lot of people who water things down and water things down and water things down and they're lukewarm and their whole heart is not in doing God's work. And they are Laodiceans. Doesn't mean they're wicked. They don't grow horns. They're just lukewarm. They're not on fire for the truth of God. And they're not on fire to do the work of God with all their being. So we need to understand that. But he could do no mighty work because there was a lack of faith. And brethren, I tell you, in Jesus' name, we have got to recreate an atmosphere of faith. We've got to get back to the kind of faith the apostles had. And they were not perfect, but they did have more faith in those days. Today, why? I better not spend half an hour, but you know this, most of you. Today you punch on the button and the world comes flooding into your living room. And you see all of this messing around and, you know, car chases and airplane chases and people shooting each other and adultery and fornication and and just stupid stuff on and on. It just gets your mind off the things of God. 
and all the other things. We have the telephone and the telegraph and the and the helicopters whirring overhead and, and we don't sit out quietly under the stars night after night after night, hundreds of nights like King David did and looking up at the Creator and realize this, He's up here, we're down here, God is guiding things. We just punch the button and the world comes bursting into our consciousness and takes over our mind way too much. And we're physically minded with physical things. We don't have the deep connection with God that we should have as a church. So let's not preach at the other Church of God groups. Let's preach at ourselves. We want to be really close to God. We want to be filled with and led by God's Holy Spirit. We want to rebuild an atmosphere of faith. As you know, one of the goals that I have set for our church years ago is to restore apostolic Christianity. That is a big thing, to restore the kind of Christianity the apostles had. And that's what we're reading about here. They had that faith. They saw Christ heal the sick. They saw Him raise the dead in His case. They saw Him cast out demons day after day. There was no telephone. There was no television. There were no movies to go to. Day after day, this they saw. They saw, boy, they had faith. And they were blessed in that way. I understand that. But that doesn't mean we'd better not have any faith. We'd better try to get closer to God, get away from your physical cares of this world more, brethren, and seek God with your whole heart. I'm trying to do that now because this thing is driving me to my knees and causing me to seek God. I think most of you know I don't want to give new people the wrong impression. I haven't been out chasing women at all. I'm too, way too old and, and uh, for years, <laughs> and uh, it, it's impossible. I mean, it's not, not in me. But I, and also, I, I, you know, other things. I'm not killing anyone, and I'm not the midnight strangler and any other thing the world would look at. But compared to Christ, I compare myself to Christ. And compared to Christ, I should be growing and, and might be much closer. And so should all of us here in this room be much closer to Christ. And that's what we've got to do. Not compare ourselves with one another, but compare ourselves with Christ. Anyway, turn now, if you would, to... Uh, uh, well, let's see, we covered uh, this verses 6 and 7. Now let's go to verses 12 and 13. Mark six twelve. So then they went out a little later and preached that people should repent. So that's the first thing, preach the gospel. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil. Sometimes, as you know, it mentions laying on of hands, other times anointing with oil. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Those three things, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. So there it is again. Now back in 1 Corinthians 11, brethren, turn back there with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 11, let's see. Oh, we're on time, I better. Well, anyway, you see how they were given the, the bread and the wine and the bread symbolized Christ's broken body, as you see. And so Jesus said through Paul here, of course, in, in verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11:28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he who drinks and drinks un, in an unworthy manner, see, he doesn't have the right attitude, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Not a few. You say, well, if we'd been back in the apostolic church, we'd have no problems. Oh, yes, they did. This was the apostolic church. They were one of Paul's churches. Many are weak and sick, and among you many sleep. Many had gone to the death prematurely. 
For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You see, sometimes God judges us and shakes us by these physical things. But when we are judged, we are chastened. God rebukes and chastens everyone He loves. We're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Before it's too late, God wakes us up and He may bring down you in certain times in your life to help you do better. And He's doing that to all of us. So let's understand that and take it that way. And then uh, remember this uh, command of Jesus in Mark 16. Mark 16. And let's turn back there to Mark the 16th chapter. And you'll notice in verse 14, after His resurrection and He's appearing, He appeared to the eleven and rebuked their unbelief. Even after three years with Christ, they still didn't believe. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness, and He sent them into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes that the baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow. doesn't say they might follow. They will follow. doesn't mean every minister has every sign, but these signs will follow God's church. And there are signs, signs of the true church of God. In my name they will uh, cast out demons. And I have cast out demons. And I have been with Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Hayen casting out demons. They will speak with new tongues. That's one thing I have not experienced yet. They will take up serpents. And Paul shows was accidentally, you know, not trying to be serpent handlers. Or if they drink anything deadly, God can protect us. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And being at Pasadena and with Mr. Armstrong, we got letters from hundreds of people, hundreds who were healed by God through the anointed clause. And I mean that. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. So they went out then with this in mind. They preached everywhere. The Lord, this was the Lord Jesus Christ, the living head of the church, working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Brethren, we need those accompanying signs. And I would like to ask all of you to join me and join together in a crusade to begin to ask God, cry out to God, beseech God to help us as a church to get closer to God, to increase our faith and to ask Him to give the accompanying signs much more, much more, so more of our brethren all across the world can be healed and more demons can be cast out. And people then can begin to realize much more fully. You know how the different people, even in the Church of God groups or even fringe groups, they say, we're all the same, we're all the same. If we are close to God and these signs begin to come, it's going to be a signal. And people will know then they will know there is a real God and they will know that He has true servants on this earth and they will listen. That's so important. So let's beseech God for those signs. I really ask you, please do that. This is a big thing that's been missing, I think, in the gospel. Those three things were all part of the gospel. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. I have three or four more verses, so we'll bring those in next time. <laughs> but anyway, let's do that, and I hope you really pray about that, and I know that God will bless the church very much, and you know that. He'll begin to get the attention of people, 
I don't care how many stations we go on. If we just go on stations and that's all, but if we have that additional thing, if these prophetic events begin to impact the nations of the world in a dramatic way as they're beginning to, and people are shaken, and they realize that we're right out at the, at the spirit point telling people what's happening and why, that'll help as we get the gospel out more powerfully in this warning and so on. Second, as we get on more stations and, and they have greater impact, that will help. Thirdly, if we have the accompanying signs, those three things can make a huge difference so the world will know where the true church of God is and where the true work of God is. Let's pray about it. We have to cry out. You've got to put your hearts in your prayers. Mr. Armstrong has said many times, he said, I think the greatest lack in people's prayer lives today, even in the church, is they do not put their hearts in their prayers Many of us have grown up just, you know, now lay me down to sleep and just blah, 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 rather than crying out to God, Father, help us, bring us close to you, shake us, fashion and mold us, give us your Holy Spirit and power that we can honor your name here at the end of the age. So let's do that.